I was uh, asked a couple of times at the door um, about uh, what I was doing or what I wasn't doing, and I didn't deliberately didn't say anything this morning because I was here to preach. And if I can indulge just for two minutes, I will give uh, a brief, brief update if that's okay. Uh, just literally two minutes. Uh, technically, I'm the associate minister at, uh, at Covenant Presbyterian Church, but I don't do many house calls because I'm never there. Uh, I travel a lot. I work with a, a mission which is called Mince, as the stuff you eat. Um, it used to be called Miami International Seminary, and it, uh, it's based in Florida. We run a degree program out of Florida, and we set up small micro-campuses or mini-campuses all over the world, literally all over the world, um, and uh, basically, we teach Reformed theology to people um, who would not have an opportunity to get it uh, in any other way. Um, and so, um, so that's what I take the liberty whenever I go somewhere. I mentioned to you this morning the Sermon on Jonah is part of uh, a lecture series on the book of Jonah. What you're going to hear tonight on John is, is taken from, uh, from some uh, material on John that we do um, and we make available. Everything's publicly available, so uh, if you're interested and if you'd like to find out any more, it's all on the web. Just go to mints.edu mints.edu and you can find it we've got lots of resources um, and uh, all the stuff that we do we put up online and we give it away for free Uh, we're working in lots of different languages all over the world uh, including Russia, we're now working in Chinese um, Russian, Chinese Spanish, Portuguese, Bulgarian uh, and various other languages but um, let's turn to the word of God shall we Let's turn to the Word of God and look at John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And we're going to look uh, in some detail, I hope, at John 15, verses 1 through 8. John 15, 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him... He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Father, we do thank you indeed for your word. We thank you for the word, the son who has done mighty things for us. We thank you that he gathered his disciples and that he instructed them as his friends, not servants, but friends, because he was instructing them and telling them the things that he would do. And we thank you that this instruction is for us, um, those who would believe on his name after his disciples, us, O oh Lord, that you have given these things to us. And so we do pray that, that he who sits in the heavens, he who rules, would mediate the grace and the mercy that is found in Christ, that he would take these things, Christ himself, by the Spirit, and teach us and apply them to our hearts, that we might know his blessing and his favor. 
One of these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I was told I could take my tie off, but I'm going one step further. It's rather hot up here. Great. The, uh, as you know, John's gospel is divided into, into two halves. Uh, in the first half, John gives seven mighty signs which prove that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that runs you to chapter 12. And then you move on to the second half of the gospel, where we are now, where Jesus takes his disciples aside and he instructs them. He teaches them of the things of the kingdom of God and the things that will shortly take place to him. And it's because they have that special relationship that the world does not have. They have a special relationship with him. And we see this in, in a number of ways. One of the ways we see this in, is in the beautiful words that he uses to show his love and to show his care. He calls them his own. He calls them my little children, my friends, my, my brothers, the men you gave me, and those who are mine. These are all descriptions which apply to them and apply to you and, and to I as Christ speaks to us and relates to us. But, of course, the central focus of this passage is this great, this last, should have asked you how many, how many I am passages are there? How many I am passages are there? Seven or 14, depends on you count them, because there are a few others who simply Jesus says, I am, and he doesn't qualify it. But this is the seventh, the great, the climactic section, the seventh great I am. And here, our Lord Jesus stresses the importance of abiding, of union between him and us. Him and us. And he uses this image of the vine and the branches. J.C. Ryle, when he's talking about this passage, says the following. The union between the branch, the branch and the vine and the main stem is the closest that can be conceived. It is the whole secret of the branch's life and strength and vigor, beauty, and fertility. Separated from the parent stem, it has no life of its own. The sap and the juice that flow from the stem are the origin and maintaining power of all its leaves, buds, blossoms, and fruit. Cut off from the stem, it must soon wither and die. The union between Christ and believers is, is just as close and just as real. In themselves, believers have no life or strength or, or spiritual power. All that they have of vital religion comes from Christ. They are what they are, they feel what they feel, they do what they do, because they draw out of Jesus a continuous supply of grace, help, and ability. Joined to the Lord by faith and united in mysterious union with him by the Spirit, they stand and walk and continue and run the Christian race. But every jot of good about them is drawn from their spiritual head, Jesus Christ. And so that central idea in this particular portion of God's word and in this image is the need for a living and a vital union with the Lord Jesus Christ as we go on in this life. And we are commanded, aren't we? We're commanded in this passage to maintain that relationship, to build that relationship, to abide in him. Not a one-off thing, 
but a constant abide, abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because our, our lives really are a personal relationship with Christ. And one of the great promises of abiding is also in this passage. Fruit-bearing. Abiding and fruit-bearing. It's, it's easy, isn't it, in this world uh, to get busy. It's, it's all too easy to get busy. It's, it's easy to be taken up by, by other things. Sometimes sin gets in and that dominates our lives. And in each case, Whatever the thing is, we cease to abide as we should. We cease to live in Christ as we are commanded to do. And then we stop bearing fruit. We stop bearing the fruit that God desires us to bear. So Jesus says here, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And I'm going to divide it up, the words of Jesus first, and then the words concerning the Father. So Jesus begins by saying, I am the true vine. Now what's he contrasting that with? Somebody says, I am the true vine. Well, naturally you might think, well, there are false vines out there, and that is certainly true. There there are things that we can put our energy and time in and make them our life. But this is not what the Lord Jesus is driving at here. The great theme, or one of the great themes in John's Gospel is that Christ is the fulfillment of all of the promises of the Old Testament. Christ is the culmination, the high point of all of the blessings of the Old Testament. And this idea of vines and branches, this is not the first time this has come up in Scripture. Where, let me me ask you, where do you see it in Scripture, in the Old Testament? One of the places is in Isaiah. I'm giving you the English pronunciation of that, by the way. (laughs) Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Let let me read to you from Isaiah chapter, because this is the Old Testament background to, to the teaching that Jesus is bringing to his disciples. And he says, let me sing for my beloved a song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard and a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and he planted it with chorts vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes. But it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judea, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there that I could do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes... Why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured, and I will break its walls, and it shall be trampled down. And God is warning Israel. Israel is his fruitful vine. It's his vineyard planted by God to bear fruit. And it it doesn't. And God warns Israel in that passage that he will come and he will judge Israel. Israel. Now, now there's another passage, I think, which is very helpful when we're looking at this, uh, and this is Psalm 80. Psalm 80, verses 9 through 16, because again, we see something of God coming to his vineyard to bring judgment, and we see how God will save his vineyard, how God will save 
his vineyard. Psalm 80, uh, Israel is God's vineyard, and again, and it says it took deep root and it filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sends out its branches to the sea and it shoots, up, uh, and it shoots to the river. And then the, the psalmist asked this question, Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that moves in the field feed on it. And it's an image in these early verses that God's vineyard has has fallen into judgment. And this elicits a cry from the psalmist. He's troubled. Verse 14 Turn again, O Lord of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, this stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. Do you see how it's moved from the vineyard to the sun? And then it continues. But let... Your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will, be, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we might be saved. And so that image of the vineyard changes into the one of the Son of Man of his right hand who will come and bring blessing, who will bring the blessings of God. And salvation will come through this one. And John, when he records Jesus' words, I am the true vine, is pointing to that one. Jesus is the true vine. Jesus is the true vine that brings all of the blessings. Jesus is the fulfillment of all that Israel was not and failed to be in and of itself. Jesus is the culmination of all of the promises so that the promises made to Israel are fulfilled, so that God's word will not return unto him void. And then in Christ Jesus He says, I am the true vine, and for us in the church, if we want to be fruitful and profitable, it's the Lord Jesus to whom we come to have life. It it is the Lord Jesus to whom we come that we might bear fruit. It is the Lord Jesus that we come to that we might be under the Father's care and receive the blessings. And this is what our Lord Jesus Christ is saying when he says, I am the true vine. Then he makes a command and a promise. He makes a command and the promise. Uh, there are two interlocking thoughts that, that run through these eight verses. Abide and bear fruit. Abide and bear fruit. Just look down at the passage if you have it in front of you. How many times does the Lord Jesus say, abide in this passage? How many times does he talk about bearing fruit or not bearing fruit? Um, Quite often when you're preaching or when you're teaching, you sometimes don't like to repeat yourself because you think, well, I've, I've said this to people 
and they've heard. It's, it's not a pride thing or anything. You've just said, well, I've said this. I, I don't want to bring this up again. Well, the Lord Jesus has no scruples here, right? How many times? Add them up. Add them up. Abide in me. Abide, abide. And you will bear fruit. You will bear fruit. You will bear fruit. If somebody came up to you in the street and said, what is Christianity about? You can answer that in many ways, can't you? You can answer that legitimately in many ways. But one of the ways that you could and should answer is exactly what our Lord Jesus says here. Christianity is about abiding in the Lord Jesus and about a living relationship, about cultivating a relationship with him. It's about seeking him and being dependent upon him day by day in order that we might be fruitful, in order that we might be fruitful. We, we believe in justification by faith alone without works, and that is, that is biblical. But the confession then goes on, doesn't it, and says, but faith is never alone. One of the great things that our Lord Jesus Christ wants us to do is abide to be fruitful. And, and the question comes back to us, are we abiding? Are we fruitful? Are we abiding and are we fruitful? Now, that word abide is, is, is very much an ongoing word. Uh, it's a conscious dependence, a, a, a thinking to myself, am I abiding? Because this is what the Lord Jesus is saying, abide in me. And, and it asks us, are we abiding? Are we acting in his, in his life? Are we acting in his strength and in his power? Are, are our lives governed by the Lord Jesus Christ and his thoughts and his word? And we forget sometimes, don't we? But, but our Christianity is very much a religion of power. There's a need for strength, isn't there? There's a need for strength. Maybe when you're younger, you don't think like that. But when you get older, you suddenly realize, I don't have the strength that I used to have. Right? And if you think you have the strength and you're that strong, well, stop death. Because you can't. If people had the strength and could do it, we need strength, don't we? We need strength. We need power. And we need spiritual life that has a source outside of our own broken hearts. And and this is who the Lord Jesus Christ is, the one who can provide these things. I am the the vine. You are the branches. And it's this ongoing demand, isn't it? Ongoing demand. Daily, daily abiding. I hope uh, we slowly develop this in a very self-conscious way. When you get up in the morning, you ask yourself, am I abiding in the Lord Jesus? Do I plan to abide in the Lord Jesus Christ today? Do I plan... To live by his grace and by his strength. And then from this abiding comes fruitfulness. Brethren, we are made in the image of God. And one of the parts of the image of God is God is a fruitful God. That's his nature. Go back to the original creation. 
Is he mean? I love the word parsimonious. Is he mean or parsimonious? Is he stingy with his blessings when he made the heavens and the earth? It's a beautiful place, isn't it? God is fruitful. God is fruitful. God desires, as we've read, that Israel would bear much fruit. That's his desire for Israel. And he promises them. He promises to Israel that in those days Jacob shall come, he shall take root. Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with its fruit. That's that's Isaiah 27 verse 6. This is his desire for Israel. This is what he wants. Christ, is Christ not fruitful? And those in him, the church, us, can, can be fruitful and therefore profitable and useful and become fruit bearers before him. Let me, let me read to you a small, another section from Pink this time. Thousands of Christians are complaining of barrenness, but they fail to trace their barrenness to its right source, the meagerness of their communion with Christ. Consequently, they seek fruitfulness in activities, often right in themselves, but which, while he is unrecognized, can never yield any fruit. In such condition, they ought rather to cry our leanness, our leanness, and they ought to know that leanness can only be remedied by that abiding in Christ and he in them, which fills the soul with marrow and fatness. Now, just to drive home this point of abiding, our our Lord offers uh, two alternatives. Either we abide in him, or uh, the words come to us that we we will be cut off. We will be cut off. Uh, Those who bear no fruit, those who do not remain in him, are are cut off. And and the verses that you have before you trace this. And and it's a slow process, as the Lord Jesus Christ describes this. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire, and they're burnt. And, and, and there's a step-by-step process. Firstly, there's a withering, and, and this is straightforward, isn't it? You, you take a plant, you break it off from its root. How long, how long do the flowers, we, looking for church flowers, we have church flowers in, in covenant, right? How long do they last? Well, they last for a while, but what's happened? They've been taken away from their source of life, and after a while they wither. Don't they? The sap is removed. They can't continue. And those beautiful colors and the pleasure that they bring to us slowly fade. And then our Lord Jesus, in even more severe terms, warns that they are gathered and thrown into the fire and burnt. And the image here is actually a final judgment. Dead branches are thrown out and then they die. Men gather them as sticks and on that eternal day, they will be separated and burnt with fire. This is a trivial illustration. We had a beautiful cherry tree in the back of our garden in England. It was a beautiful tree. And the neighbors behind us uh, came and said one day, please, uh, the roots, we're worried about the roots. We don't get any shade. We liked it because we had privacy. But they said, no, we don't get, we don't get any shade. Uh, we have a tree surgeon, as they're called there. We have a tree surgeon who will come around and lop the tree down. And uh, you'll win because we'll pay for it, and we'll win because we'll have uh, a little bit more light into our backyard. And being nice people, we said yes, 
Well, the guy came and he cut it back and he cut it back and he cut it back so hard he killed the tree. Beautiful tree. Killed the tree. The only profitable thing which was left was firewood. You know, really, we went down there and after it, we, we realized, well, this is before we realized um, that it was never going to grow again. Um, we chopped all the bits up and in the cold of winter we we burned it because that was what it was good for at that point. That, that was all it was good for. So here, our Lord Jesus Christ both shows us the great blessings of abiding in him and then at the same time, at the same time he warns us um, that these things are serious and, and we need to take stock. So this is our Lord Jesus. He says, I am the vine. And then he goes on to talk about the second person of the glorious trinity. My father is the vine dresser. My father is the vine dresser. He is the one who has special care, in a sense, over the vineyard. And we've already seen this, if you like, in Isaiah chapter 5. We read about how God dug up, he, he cleansed, he planted, he took care of the vineyard. And, and these are ascribed to the Father, planning and ordering all events in our lives. And he does so to develop Israel in that illustration. He called Israel. He separated Israel. He brought her out of her captivity. He put her in the land. He gave her his ordinances, his temples, his prophets, his priests, the law. He planted her in a good place that she might grow. And and let me encourage you, in, in the same way, the Father is doing the same in our lives. The Father is doing the same. He is called. You are called. You have been separated, ordained to come unto Christ, to be led in paths of righteousness, in in, in ways of blessing. Daily, daily he has thought ahead and provided for us, and and he has ordered every step of our lives. Your Father is the vine dresser. Your Father is the vine dresser. It's an amazing thing. He could have delegated it to angels. He could have said, well, I've done the main bit. Yeah, let the angels take care of it. But he says, my father is the vine dresser. No less, no less than the father himself is the vine dresser. And you see the beautiful way that the two work together? You've got the father and you've got the son. The Father ordered planning all things so that you come to the Son and draw life from the Son because the greatest gift that the Father has given is the Son. And the greatest riches that you possess are yours inherited in Christ Jesus, earned and bought for him, for you by him. My Father is the vine dresser. And he, he knows his garden. My mother loves gardening. Uh, you, you can actually garden out there because it's not so hot most of the time. So, A, you want to be outside. Your problem is it's too cold half the time. But, B, the climate just seems to be uh, see better organized. And uh, 
Come end of this year, probably my mother will be sketching out on her iPad what she wants her garden to look like next year. When, what plants she wants to flower, what colors she wants in various parts of the garden, and what cycles, because they will cycle through different times. They will come, they will bloom, they will blossom, and the next ones will come and bloom. She puts time and energy and thought into that. How much more does the father do? How much more does the father do? As a great gardener, planned, organized, thought through every aspect of our lives, providing all we have need of for life and godliness in the sun, in the sun. And he walks around. My mother walks around, I know. She walks around the garden, checking it for what needs, what is lacking, what, what needs special encouragement. Even so, the Father watches over the condition of each branch to water, to train, to prune. And that's, that's this beautiful working of the Trinity that we have here. We have the two persons of the Trinity working together here. And then he says, he prunes. Those that bear fruit, he prunes. When, when things are going easy, isn't it, it, it's easy for us to sing songs of praise and songs of thankfulness. But there is a time in winter when God is faithful to cut back and to prune. In each one of our lives, there is a time when God cuts backs and he prunes. No, no branch in this garden is allowed to go to waste. He, he spares nothing in his watching over us. He removes the dead branches and he cuts back the other branches. There, there are dead areas in our lives. There are areas in our lives which are not useful. They are not profitable. They are going in a direction which is not profitable. If you planted a tree out the back here, does it automatically go into that beautiful shape that you see when you go down somewhere and, and see a beautiful garden with all the shaped trees? Does that happen automatically? It grows this way and it grows that way and the branches go off here and the branch goes off there and a gardener comes and does what he says this isn't the shape that I want this isn't the fruit that I want and he begins to cut it back doesn't he he cuts away areas of our lives which are not useful which actually may be harmful to us some things are lawful but not useful. Some things are unlawful and we put time and energy and resources and the Father says, no, no, I, I don't want time and energy and resources in this area. I want it to make you truly useful and fruitful. And he puts the time and the energy and the resources into other areas by cutting away the branches that we hold so dear. And yet ultimately they're not helpful for us. To the point that we sometimes say, Lord, you are killing me. You are taking away the most precious thing that I have. And he says, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm pruning you so that you bear more fruit. So that you allocate your time and your energies to the things that truly matter. The things of heaven. The things of spiritual importance. And so that I can shape you into a beautiful tree, a beautiful tree. And we, we do it for our pleasure, don't we? 
We do it in various ways. Fathers, you do it for your pleasure, sometimes with your children, but the Father always does it for our good. He always does it for our good. Now, I'd be remiss uh, to stop at this point without making some quick, quick scriptural examples. A person who is pruned for usefulness. Who do you think? Who can you come up with? A person pruned hard but for usefulness. Peter? There are many, actually, in Scripture, but I'm just Peter. There's Peter, bold, strong, self-confident. Needs to be reminded of his weakness. Needs to be reminded of his need for Christ. And what happens? He's, he's pruned, isn't he? He's cut back when he falls. Not that he might be destroyed, because God doesn't do that. That Peter might repent and come back and feed my sheep, tend my lambs. So there you have a positive example. You have a negative example, don't you, in in Judas. Here's somebody who looks like he's bearing fruit, but he's not really. Judas is abiding in in the treasury. He's finding his joy in the purse that he can take the money. He's with, but not of. He's close, but not in the kingdom. He's not truly abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know the end of Judas, don't we? He's cut off. This process happens, doesn't it? Then let me ask you a question. Who is the most fruitful person in Scripture. It's my third example. Who's the most fruitful person in Scripture? Good question. I think it's a good question. It's got an easy answer, actually. It's Sunday school, right? So it looks like a squirrel, it moves like a squirrel, but the answer has to be Jesus, right? Who in Scripture is the most profitable of all of God's servants? The Lord Jesus Christ. Who in Scripture is pruned the hardest? The Lord Jesus Christ. Who in his pruning bears the greatest fruit unto the Father? The Lord Jesus Christ. Because we see in the life of the Lord Jesus, isn't it? His own life is cared for, it's protected, it's watched over. By the Father. And all of his steps are ordered, even into the garden. And then from the garden to the cross and to the grave, as he is cut back and he is pruned. And he learned, doesn't it say, he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. A deeper and deeper obedience. And even our Lord Jesus Christ was shaped. Even he was, was molded by the Father's providence. Even he grew. It's not that he was sinful and then he became non-sinful, but he learned obedience. He grew in his obedience as he walked upon this earth. And if our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the God-man, needed pruning, surely every single one of us that's here who name the name of Christ say, we too, we don't look for it, but we too need pruning, don't we? Pruning even as he was pruning But then he's cut back, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many, many 
seeds. And so he is the one who is both pruned the hardest, but is the most fruitful and profitable, a captain of our salvation who leads the way. Abide, he says, in me, and I in you. This is not a mystical thing. Uh, it is through the Spirit, but actually in this passage, John doesn't mention the Spirit. You have to wait till the next chapter before John starts to mention the Spirit. When, when he says, abide in me, his focus is on obeying God's Word. You are already clean, he says in verse 3. Why? You are already clean, because my Word abides in you. We, we, we abide in Christ as His Word abides in us. The cleansing power of the Word Jesus has spoken to His disciples is the equivalent of the life of the vine pulsating through the branches. And another way that we abide is prayer. Is prayer. It comes out in the verses immediately following this. Those who abide have their prayers answered. And their prayers both are a source of comfort and a means to bear fruit. Through our prayers, through the cries of the man who is abiding in the Lord Jesus and pruned by the fathers, this is a way of fruit bearing. As we learn to grow and to pray according to God's will more and more and more, And so our fellowship with Christ and our thoughts and our thinking, everything is shaped by God's will. And then there's a third way that he mentions abiding. Just, uh, again, a little further on in the text. It's linked to love and loving one another. Loving one another. As the Father has loved me. What an amazing statement. Can you get to the depths of that? As the Father has loved me. So I have loved you. How do we get to the depths of that? As the Father loves the Son, so the Son with the same intensity and earnest and depth and height and width and breadth loves you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And this is my commandment, that you love one another as I has loved you. How do we abide in the Lord Jesus? Well, we abide by letting his word abide in us. We abide as we grow in our prayers and our wrestling with God. We abide as we love one another and growing in love for one another. And do not be downcast, brethren. God loves fruitfulness. And as we abide, he will make us bear fruit. So that on that day, he will say, this is my profitable servant. My profitable, my good and profitable servant. Come enter into the place of rest. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this, your word. And we pray that we would be those who, who truly learn what it is to abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so abiding, Lord, we would bear fruit and do what is pleasing in your sight. For these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.